Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I am your host, Annie F. Downs, and happy Mother's Day weekend. I am, first of all, going to say happy Mother's Day to my very mom. I love my mom. She's amazing. Pam, happy Mother's Day to you. And to all my friends who are out there listening that are moms, happy Mother's Day to you guys as well. I am thankful that you have kids that I get to hang out with. So well done to all of you moms. Y'all are heroes. Singing to us in the background is one of my favorite dads. He's not a mom. He's a dad. He's got a mom that I love. Hey, JJ. But Dave Barnes is the music in the background. You should definitely check out his new album and see him out on the road. I've gotten to see one show so far and it's just the best because it's comedy and music and it's all my favorite things. So it's just the very, very best. Speaking of Mother's Day, today on the show is one of my very favorite new-ish moms. She's been a mom for a couple of years, but she has a new book that just came out called Forgiving God, A Story of Faith. Hillary Yancey is an incredibly gifted writer, just a really kind woman, and she challenges my faith with how she writes and how she mothers and how she exists. And I just think she has such an interesting story. As some of you, you may or may not know her story, but today... For this special Mother's Day weekend episode, I just think you will really be moved by and enjoy her story. So here's my conversation with author Hillary Yancey. Well, good morning, Hillary. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Okay, so tell me what a morning, I mean, it's nine o'clock on a Thursday morning. What is happening in the Yancey household at nine o'clock on a Thursday morning? Well, there's some loud music playing because my two and a half year old is obsessed with dancing. <gasps> really? Like he is. Every day. We have watched the same second part of the second act of the Nutcracker every night no. since Christmas. Oh, oh yeah. my gosh. How did you even start him watching the Nutcracker? It was sort of accidental because Preston got us the video because I love the Nutcracker. I grew up watching it and we couldn't go to the actual like live ballet. And so it was like, oh, we'll watch this recording of the New York City Ballet. And then Jack, I don't know, we started it, I think on like a Sunday afternoon and he woke up from his nap and we didn't turn it off. And then he was like, this is my life. I'm going to be a ballet dancer. <laughs> oh my gosh. And so he does it every day. Every day. Every night before bed. But only the second half of the second act. Right. How, yeah, how's that? I know. Um, well, let's just say I know a lot of these dances very well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I would believe that. And he started to make up his own routine. So that is fairly entertaining. Um, <laughs> but he sometimes wants us to join in. And by 7 p.m., I'm pretty wiped. So... Yeah. My dancing is like, yeah, you're like, I mean, I'm here for it, but that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. So he's dancing this morning. My daughter is not sleeping because sure. she sleeps great at night and then is like naps. Who does naps? <laughs> but she's tiny, right? She's supposed to still be napping. Yeah. She's five months. I'm oh like, girl, gosh. this is your best life now. Right. This is, right. This is nap heaven. Right. Not into it. Not into it at all. What about Preston? Is he still into napping? <laughs> oh, my gosh. We're so into napping. Oh, I we believe never it. get to nap. Yeah. He's good. I think he is either answering emails 
or he has been roped into the dancing well, sure. with Jack. Um, okay, tell me, let's back up just a little bit because I love this story. Tell the story of you and Preston meeting and falling in love because it's such oh. a great story. <laughs> well, um, how does it even start? We were both blogging. Yes. Preston was like, cool blogger. I was not a cool blogger. I was just blogging away in my tiny little corner of the internet, but somebody I knew in college read my blog because he knew me and had heard of Preston's blog through somebody else. And so he was reading Preston's blog. And then one day out of the blue, he was sent us this Facebook message and was like, Hey, you guys write about similar things. Like you should write to each other. We should read each other's blogs. And what cities were y'all living in at the time? We were in, so I was north of Boston and he was, I guess, technically in Waco where we live now because he was finishing up at Baylor. Oh, sure. Okay. And so we like exchanged a couple messages and there was, you know, oh, your Facebook pictures are cute and like, yeah, okay, cool. And then we just kept writing and kept writing. And then at one point, like we decided I was going to quit blogging and Preston was like, no, don't quit blogging. Like you're a good writer. You just need to have a prompt or like have some sort of series on your blog. We'll write letters to each other. And I'm sort of now like, oh my gosh, we wrote letters to each other on our blogs. Like they are, they're public. (laughs) They're public. And they're still public. They're still there. Yes, (gasps) I know. I know. Um, And after that, you know, he moved to St. Andrews, Scotland for his master's degree. And I was still working in Boston. What year is this, by the way? Help us put this on the map. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we met in 2011. I mean, met, like not in person, met online. And then he moved to Scotland, like at the end of 2012. So he was there like the 2012, 2013 school year. And we started dating like towards the end of that. And then he flew to Boston two years after we had like sort of started talking and y'all had never seen each other in the first two years. Never, (gasps) never. Oh, I know. I know. And so he walked through the airport and of course, because I was like so nervous, I was like, I don't know where to meet him. Do I meet him in baggage? At this point y'all like liked each other. I mean, for sure. You talked for for two years. Oh yeah. 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 We were like, did you think like, this is the dude I'm going to marry? I don't know. I sort of think I thought like, whoa, this is so real. What's happening in my life? Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is so real. Yeah. Um, but he flew to Boston, and I'm like so nervous. I've like bought this new dress. I don't whatever, and I'm so I'm like sort of nervous and sweaty wearing this new dress. It doesn't like totally fit great, but I'm like this is so trendy. It's like one of those high low dresses. This is perfect. Yeah, yeah. You know. And then I get way too nervous, and so I'm like, oh, he's probably going to go to baggage claim. So I like run down to baggage claim. No, he was not there. So he calls me. He's like, hey, where are you? I'm like, oh, I'm in baggage claim. Where are you? And he's like, oh, I'm upstairs, you know, near ticketing or whatever, where you first come out. And I was like, oh, okay. And I hang up without telling him that I'm going to go up. So he goes down to baggage claim and I go up. Oh, my gosh. We did that two more times before finally on the phone, he was like, stop moving. No. (laughs) No. And the whole time, are you like so nervous? Like, oh, how is this happening? Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, this guy that I like has flown to Boston and like is here to meet me. Like there's no other reason. We're just like, here here we are. Yes. Yes. 
And he flew from Scotland to Boston. No, he flew from Texas. He had flown okay. home. He had like detoured. So he'd flown home for the summer and then he kind of turned around from got it, got Houston it, got it. and flew up to okay. Boston. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so then we finally meet in the airport and I'm like, whoa, it's my husband. Really? Totally. I was like, I just People know. People always say that, Hillary. And I, I mean, you just knew. Yeah. It was very surreal. Like I walked out holding his hand and was just like, huh, I'm going to marry this person. <gasps> oh my gosh. Yeah. It was not as romantic as I feel like that gets painted sometimes when it's oh, like, oh, talk about I'm that. I'm just like so in love and I... I feel these warm, fuzzy butterflies. And when I look at the person, those heart emojis come out of my eyes and stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. We were just talking about something like super mundane, you know? It was like, how was your flight? And I'm parked over here. And we were just holding hands. And I just felt this like, huh, this is my husband. Cool. Okay. Like really chill. Yeah. It was so chill. Yeah. And then, so then how long is he in Boston? He was there for a week. And then he came back a month later for another week. And then I came to Texas, and that's when he actually proposed. So he proposed two months after we... So y'all never broke up. You never took a break. You never had like a, hey, let's not do this and get back together? Well, we'd had lots of like, do we like each other? Do we not like each other drama before we'd actually even like gotten together? In that season of, we're writing letters, and I like you, but you don't like me. Then I don't like you, but you do like me. And Uh we've done a lot of that. So that was kind of out of the system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, by the time he got to Boston, it was either this is immediately going to be great or this is not happening. Yeah. Yeah. Did he feel that same thing right away? Yeah, I think so. I think he... I think he would say he went home from that first trip and he told his parents, like, I'm going to marry her. And again, this like super chill, like, this is it. Yeah. Were you scared of any of it? Was there any part that was scary? I think so. I mean, it's hard to remember because now we've been married almost four years. And so I'm like, what was it like? (laughs) Before I was married, I don't remember. I remember being like scared that other people would think it was super fast, you know, like other people would be like, what is happening? How does that even work? Can that work? You know, other people being unsure for us, but honestly, like, I don't know. The whole thing felt so settled. That's like the overwhelming feeling was just like, we are just settled. Yeah. Oh, that's really sweet. And how long after that did you get pregnant with Jack? We were married six months when I got pregnant with Jack. So we got married in June and then we got pregnant with him like at the end of December of 2014. And tell that story a little bit for the, I mean, I think so many of my friends followed along with you during that, but for those who didn't kind of tell Jack's story a little bit, and then I'd love to talk about forgiving God and, and how you wrote out of that. Cause you've been writing. I mean, you've been a writer the whole time. That's who you are, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think so. Yeah. So we, Got pregnant with Jack um, at the end of December of our like first, yeah, six months of being married. Were y'all trying to get pregnant? Is that too personal? Like, were y'all ready to it's have It's not kids? too personal. I mean, in the book, I say, I think I say this in the book, basically like Christmas Eve, God was like, you're going to have a baby this time next year. Oh, and I wow. was like, oh, okay. Okay. What? Pause there, Hillary, because one of the things we love to talk about, I love to talk about with my friends is what it sounds like when you hear God. 
Because I think mm-hmm. everybody wishes they could hear God and and wants to hear God, but not everybody knows what that sounds like for them. So what does it sound like for you when God says something that direct and that kind of wackadoodle for you? I mean, I'm not saying, listen, you know me. I mean, like, I love hearing the Lord say crazy stuff. But what is it? How did you know? And what does God sound like to you? Well, I feel like, I don't know if this will make sense. It's not always audible. It's more like the thought is almost like written across my head or like written inside my head. I don't know. The image is hard to describe, but like I was sitting in church that Christmas Eve service and Preston was like serving. So he was up at the front and I looked at him and that, you know, singing a Christmas hymn of some kind, I don't remember what it was. And it was like, I could read the sentence. You're going to have a baby next year. You're going to have a kid. It's almost more like God writes to me than it is like he speaks because I I could never describe it as like a voice. Or if I guess I was going to give it a voice, it would sound like me repeating the words like back to myself, yes, you yes. know? I'm the same. For me, it's pictures. It's not, I, it's not often that I hear anything with my ears. It's that I can see a picture. Yes. Yeah. So I feel like I saw the writing. Yeah. And then I like, we finished the service and Preston was like, hey, so did you hear? I was like, yeah, God said that, you know, we're going to have a baby. And he was like, yeah. And <gasps> he had heard the same thing. He had heard the same thing. No. Yeah. Oh, and my then gosh. Uh, there is Jack from that one night. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, what our friends who don't know will hear as we keep going, like, uh, the fact the Lord said that to you so clearly to both of you probably really made the Jack story not easier. That's ridiculous, but just more purposeful where you knew, you know? Yeah. It was very much like, a, okay, well, this person is supposed to come into the world. And so everything we like learn about him, everything that we go through with him as we like, as he's, as we're pregnant and then as he's born and into his life is colored a little bit by like God being so intentional about telling us like this is supposed to happen. Man, that's incredible. Okay, keep going. So y'all get pregnant. So we get pregnant and we find out like, I don't know, mid-January, I take one of those tests because I've been super moody and Preston's like, "Mm, do you think that like maybe you could be pregnant? And I was like, no. Yeah, you're like, no way. Yeah. Yeah, totally was. That test turned pink or whatever color it turns in about like 40 seconds. And I was like, oh, no. I mean, he was right. That's my first thought. It was like, oh, he's totally (laughs) right. I love it. But then we just lived that sort of, I don't know, it's not blissful because first trimester can be rough, but we just lived in the sort of okay, we're having a kid, like everything's normal. Everything's going to be the way it is for everybody else we've ever known who's ever had a kid. Right. And which is a totally normal thing to expect. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. And then I'm a nervous person just in general. So I was kind of anxious about all things sort of pregnancy related. If there was a list somewhere on some website of the things you should and shouldn't eat, I was reading it. If there was a list of how you should and shouldn't work out, I was reading it. Because you'd never done it before or you did you feel nervous or what made you actually do all that work? Well, I think 
partially because I'd never done it before. And I thought there was a way to sort of do it right. Like I thought there was like, this is how you master pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. That is a lie I have let go of. Yeah. But I thought you sort of protected and cushioned your baby by doing all these things in your own body, like perfectly. Is that a, because for in in Annie's life, control is a thing. Is that a thing for you? Like is control a thing for you thinking, if I can control this, this will turn out right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And so the more stuff, and this is the thing about the internet, right? Like there's more and more and more stuff you can read. There are these endless rabbit trails of, (laughs) right. Well, this was my story of eating this pineapple. And then it made me do that, you know, did this. And if I, worked out this much, but not that much. It was better for me or, you know, and it's all swirling around and you can kind of get trapped in that vortex of there's always one more thing you could probably be doing or thinking about. So I was both super worried in that sense, but then also I think assuming that because I was trying to exercise this level of control that I was achieving like this certain normal pregnant life Girl. and baby yes. outcome. Uh, tell me real quick what your, do you know your Enneagram number? No, I have no idea. Oh, I've taken okay. like, I've taken two tests and I got, I've gotten one, three and nine. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I, don't I, don't know. Know. I, I don't have time. I have two kids. <laughs> Everybody's talking about it. Yeah. And I'm like, is there any relationship between all of those numbers? Like, yeah, maybe it's, uh, yes, let me look, I'll look and we'll think about it. I'm just curious as you're talking about the control thing, it sounds like a three thing of I can achieve my way to this. So tell me where you balance just in your life, but particularly in this story in this season, when you're pregnant for the first time, how did you balance a genuine trust in God that I know you have and a desire to control everything? I don't think I did it very well. I feel like it was more like two ends of a a tug of war, like two ends of a rope. So like my prayers were very, okay, I entrust this pregnancy to you and I I'm giving you this experience and I'm recognizing or trying to recognize that this life is yours and you know what you're doing and, you know, something like that. And then at the same time, I'm pulling, I'm pulling in the other direction. That's like, okay, but I'm doing these things and these things mean everything's okay. And I'm having this much morning sickness. And that usually means that everything is okay. And, you know, I'm, I'm working out and then I would feel guilty if I didn't work out enough or too much, or if I didn't drink the requisite 20 million glasses of water or whatever. Uh, Right, 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 right. So I felt like that season was like the desire to control almost showed up in my prayers because my prayers were almost like these clenched fists of like, I'm giving this to you kind of, I don't know how, and I don't really want to. And could I still maybe keep it for a little while until I'm sure everything's fine anyway? Yeah. Cause I see that in my life too, Hillary of going like, yes, Lord, I totally trust you. But when I pray, it is because I want to control things. Yeah. So then we go for our normal 20 week ultrasound and they call us a few days later and they say, you know, hey, you're going to need to come in for follow-up. Your ultrasound results indicate cleft lip and palate. Do you know what that is? And I was at school, so I'm a I'm a grad student, and so I was actually at on campus 
when they called. So I'm walking around my building because I don't have my own office. And so I'm trying to like find a place that's quiet enough to hear what she's saying, what this nurse is saying, and also try to process what feels like this impossible collision of everything I thought was happening and then what she's telling me is happening. And I just remember it so vividly. I keep saying, okay, okay, okay. Because she's telling me, you know, you need to call this person. You need to go to this. How much did they tell you on that first call? Not very much at all. They sort of said, this is what it indicates. Do you know what it is? I was like, yeah, I mean, kind of, not really. Um, And then everything else was just instructions for, okay, you're going to need to, you know, at the time I was seeing a nurse practitioner, um, but she didn't do high risk pregnancies. So she was like, you're going to need to transfer your care for the rest of the pregnancy to a different OBGYN. And you're going to need to see a maternal fetal medicine specialist. And they only do these like high level ultrasounds at a different hospital, at a different clinic. And you're just like hearing all this for the first time in your head and being like, what do I do with this? Yes. And especially feeling like, wait, is this real? Like, are you telling me something about my baby? Like my kid? And it was this total suspense. I, f- I felt suspended almost above my life. Like, watching it happen and not sure how to like come back and integrate what she was telling me with what I was like living. You know, it's the first few weeks you hear your, you feel your baby moving. We just named him Jack. Like we, I was talking to him and I suddenly felt like, wow, how am I supposed to, I mean, I really did think this at the beginning. Like, how do I tell Jack what's happening? Yeah. Cause you're like, this is you. <laughs> yeah. 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 Man, that's incredible. And so are you immediately, you hang up from the phone call and kind of what, what did they tell you? What did you know in that first phone call? Just that Jack's ultrasound had indicated cleft lip and palate on the right side. And at that point, they hadn't said anything to us about like any more extensive like condition. Partially, I think because usually they don't do extensive measurements at an at a 20 week ultrasound sort of in a regular clinic. So they didn't know anything about like what we'd learn later that his chin was measuring small, right? Or that he was missing his eye on the right side or his external ear. That took much fancier technology to sort of be able to see. Yeah. What did you say to God right after you hung up on that phone call? You got to be kidding me, I think. And I think I start. I prayed then something like, surely not. Surely not my baby. Surely not me. Surely not this pregnancy. Like you're going to, we're going to go to this follow-up and you're going to tell us it was just a mistake that ultrasounds show things sometimes that aren't true, that we get to go home again and I get back the thing I wanted. I get back the experience. I get back the normal. And I think for a few weeks, I sort of lived in this like how is this happening to my baby? And we were sad and confused and a little apprehensive. And maybe it's not true. Maybe it's not going to happen. Maybe they're going to tell us it was just a a blip, you know? Yeah, because you hear stories of that happening or God healing in a way that the what the doctor said the first time doesn't happen the second time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. And then Jack does have all of that. Yeah. So we go to our, our follow-up ultrasound with the specialist and 
he's the, you know, he remains in my mind, one of the kindest medical doctors I've ever interacted with. He was so quiet when he came in and talked to us. He had spent a half hour looking at Jack's scans before he'd come in. So we'd been sitting there sort of like, well, I don't know, <laughs> you know, what's going on. Yeah. Um, and he comes in and he says, you know, do you know why you're here? Which is a funny question. They ask you that though. Doctors yeah. ask you that. Do yeah. you know why you're here? And I'm, I feel yeah, like that's so bizarre. Yeah. You know, we say, okay, well, our first ultrasound showed cleft lip and palate. And he was like, yeah, you know, we are seeing that. There's some, some more stuff we need to talk about. So that's when he told us about um, Jack's chin measuring smaller than normal and that he was missing his right eye. And I don't think at that time he knew that I couldn't see it on the ultrasound. It's funny how much and how little those things can tell you. Um, you know, I, we saw Jack on an ultrasound three times as often, you know, as most people see their babies throughout pregnancy on the ultrasound. And it seemed like it told us a lot. And it also didn't tell us very much. There's a lot you can't know until your kid's actually born. Right. And you actually like see their fully enfleshed self and you can kind of get the lay of the land. But later at the MRI that they did, um, they saw that he was missing his external right ear and um, he does have a functioning inner ear, like a functioning cochlea on the right side, um, but he has conductive hearing loss on that side because there's no way for the sound basically to get in. Oh, gosh, there's nothing to collect it. Yeah, oh, exactly. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. So, he's born and y'all have to do like, he has a trachea and no right eye, no outer ear. Yeah. So, he got the trach, the tracheostomy tube on... October 20th. So it was three weeks after he was born. Um, And that was actually, it's interesting. It was sort of our call. Jack was intubated briefly when he was born, um, but he extubated himself when he was like a day old. He like pulled the tube out and he was- No way. Oh yeah. My kid's super feisty. He's Yeah. He's like still stayed that guy. Mm-hmm, totally. Yeah. But he could breathe fine, but only in certain positions. So basically, if he lay on his back when he was super little, because his jaw is missing part of or has a very, very, very small upper mandible bone, um, he can't control his jaw. And your jaw being forward is what keeps your tongue forward. And that keeps you from asphyxiating when you lie on your back. Oh, because wow. your tongue can fall back and block your airway. So that was what was happening with him. If he lay on his back, he was just struggling to breathe. And so they told us, you know, you could wait and see how he grows and, and, you know, not give him a trach and just sort of, you know, see, go day by day. But the consensus from all of the doctors who had seen him was that he was going to thrive if he got the trach in a way that they weren't sure he could without it because the trach meant secure airway. It meant steady supply of oxygen and air into, you know, and his lungs work great. And so it was really just let's make this safe and secure. And that means he's then confident. He's not afraid. He's not going to be able to breathe. And so he can learn to run around. He can learn to crawl. He can learn to do all this other stuff. And so We've now had the trach for almost three years and they were totally right about all of that. It 
was a hard call to make for us because it meant huge changes to our family life. But we've watched him just develop physically and emotionally and just in all of his normal, you know, I mean, the man wants to be a ballet dancer. Right. Like, right. <laughs> hey, friends, just going to interrupt this conversation with Hillary real quick to tell you about my new favorite way to cook at my house, which I barely do, but I do with prep dish. Prep dish is such an easy way to save time in the kitchen, to be efficient, to eat healthy, whether it's gluten-free, dairy-free, paleo, or however you like to eat, they provide it for you stress-free. It's so great. And listen, for my friends who are listening, there's a two-week free trial for our listeners alone. So just go to prepdish.com slash Annie. So easy, you guys. This is like a no-brainer. It is literally two weeks for free. I'm trying it too, and I am really enjoying it. And for those of you who are moms, this is such a great solution for what goes on in your kitchen because you can prep it all and then it is ready to go as the week goes on. And then for those of us who are feeding less than four people, two people or one person, it's a great way to have healthy options in the kitchen, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I am absolutely loving it. I think it is so fun. They do all the planning for you. You don't even have to think about your meals. This is such a time saver. Allison is the founder of Prep Dish, and we have emailed a ton, and I think the world of her. And again, she's the one who said, okay, let's do two week trial run for your people. So make sure you go to prepdish.com slash Annie for this amazing deal. So when you sign up, you'll receive an email every week with a grocery list and instructions for prepping your meals ahead of time. And after only one to three hours of prepping on the weekend, you'll have all your meals ready for the entire week. So you'll save time and have some delicious meals like uh, a smoky paprika chicken legs with a trio of roasted vegetables or this amazing turkey and zucchini lasagna. Y'all have got to try it. So again, that's prepdish.com slash Annie to get your first two weeks for free. Make sure you do that. And now let's get back to that conversation, a special Mother's Day conversation with my friend Hillary. When it came time to get pregnant again, were you scared? We really weren't. It's actually, it's interesting because the idea that changed the most for me in the process of both carrying Jack, but then also living alongside him, both in the hospital and then after, was that I I no longer think these things are things that happened to him. They're a part of who he is. His body is his body is his body. So the thought that we could have another kid who had a different kind of body that had different kinds of needs didn't phase us the way that it had the first time because we were like, well, that will be who that person is. We'll learn what their needs are and you meet those needs. Isn't that the most like basic parenting thing you want to do is you want to figure out what does my kid need and then you give it to them. And it, it happened that Jack had some really specific needs that required like a plastic surgeon and, you know, some more complicated stuff, especially at the beginning. And he'll still need that. He'll still need surgeries. He'll still need more of them coming. Yeah. Yeah. He'll probably have, I don't know, it could be as many as two dozen surgeries. So his needs are pretty specific, but they're just his, they're just his needs. And so when we thought about our daughter, it was really just, okay, well, we're going to learn what her needs are. How does she need to eat? How does she need to breathe? How does she need to 
move through the world. Yeah. And so, yeah, it didn't, it didn't scare us. I think the only thing that lingered for me that was actually a fear was reliving the NICU experience because that's, that's really hard. Yeah. Y'all were in there for a really long time. Yeah. Six weeks. Yeah. It's a long time. I mean, you wrote your dissertation in there. What's that story? What were you writing when you were in there? Just regular academic papers. No, I'm just starting my dissertation now, but I was still taking two philosophy classes. And so basically would drive, it was about 45 minutes from the hospital where Jack was to school, to Baylor. So I would drive in time for class. I would stay for class. And then I would turn around and go back to the hospital. And then while he slept, Preston and I would just take turns like holding him or, you know, doing stuff with him. And so if Preston was holding him or he was sleeping, I was writing. I was trying to do school. I mean, that is just unbelievable. I mean, I remember watching it at the time and talking with you all the time and being like, it, it, this is the definition of God giving people what they need, like giving them the strength they need. God can do what we cannot do. Yeah. It just blew my mind. Yeah. What do you feel like you have learned about God from Jack? Oh my gosh, so much. I feel like Jack reintroduced me to God. You know, that season of my life was a season and sort of in some ways still is. I think God and I have a very frank conversation now in a way we didn't before my prayer life. Really? Like it changed your conversations with him on the regular? Oh yeah. I'm so much more willing to be as fully my emotional self, I think, as in a way I wasn't before. So if I'm angry about something, God knows about it. And man, the other night I was praying for Jack. I was praying about, I don't even remember some communication stuff, him being able to really learn sign language and thrive and us being able to find the right communication tools to just facilitate, you know, him having a good experience in the world, something like that. And my prayers, Jack has enabled me to pray almost in a sassy way. I was like, look, you better do this for him. Mm. I am trusting you to do this for him. You know, I am asking for something good. You know, I am asking for stuff that he needs, you know, those needs better than I do. So I am standing here and I am saying, you are going to do this for my kid. Yeah. I think there was a fear in me as like a teenager that that will get you in trouble when God is ready to be in relationship with every version of me. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And Jack showed me again that God puts his hand on us all the time, even when that's not accomplishing the thing you think it should. So like, oh, come on with that, Hillary Yancey, come on with that girl. (laughs) So, you know, there was no moment in the NICU when God was far away, like when it wasn't true that God was right there walking into surgery alongside Jack or meeting him in surgery. I think of it as Jesus already stood in every room we've ever walked into. So wherever we go, it's like we're going to meet Jesus because he's gone ahead because he's standing there waiting for us to get there. Yeah. You know, I was angry at God for the suffering that I saw my kid go through and the huge transitions it meant for my life and for everything I had once sort of thought it would be like, but I watch my kid and I see like God just loving him. You know, I see him 
delighting in Jack's being because I can see how Jack delights in the being of the world. There is nothing he is not interested in. Yeah. Except yeah. going to bed on time. <laughs> but he he has this raw, uncontainable interest in the world. And I feel like he reacquainted me with how interested in the world God is, if that makes sense. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> and do you think that he will know God differently than we do? I think so. I mean, I think what I'm so excited about is, in a way, backing out of the story enough to hear Jack tell me the story, you know, to realize that there's there's some components of it that I've lived, but there's so much more that he's living. And I'm sort of supposed to step back and say, you know, I'm going to wait to be invited in to what my son experiences of God. But the other day, I think actually the same day I was telling you about when I was praying this kind of sassy prayer about Jack, I I was talking about sign language. I was talking about English. I was talking about, you know, show us what these tools are because Jack needs to have good tools to communicate with other people in the world and to communicate with you. And that's when one of those sentences got written across my brain again. And God said, or wrote, I already speak Jack's language. Yeah. That sounds like God would say that. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so there was this profound stepping back for me when I realized they have an independent relationship. I, I might not be able to access it right now. Jack isn't going to tell me all of the conversations I think he and Jesus are in fact having, but I believe that how he sees the world in the body that he has with the life that he's lived so far and the life he'll keep on living is going to be this really neat invitation someday to know God differently through my kid. What would you say to parents that are listening whose kids may not have a a physical, something you can notice physically like you can with Jack, but they every kid has something that makes them different than everybody else, and every kid has something that could hold them back. What have you learned in three years of parenting Jack about how to parent him even with something that could hold him back? I think the biggest thing is to let Jack set the pace. My mom said that to me really early on. She said, you have to let Jack tell you how fast and how slow to go. It's really easy, I think, in a medical context to have doctors or speech therapists or physical therapists kind of tell you, like, this is how fast your kid should be able to master this skill. This is how fast um, they should be able to walk or they should be able to talk or they should be able to hold a spoon a certain way or, or whatever. And for, for us, I think the biggest help has been to say, let's shrink back to, well, what's Jack ready to do? Okay, let's press into that. Let's challenge him in that. Let's, let's try to equip him to master this thing he's indicating he is ready to master and not assume that it is supposed to conform to a timeline that's comparable to anybody else. I think accepting that was the biggest thing was to say, look, it's not going to look like it does with other kids. Okay. How does it need to look for Jack? How do we equip him? What is he ready for now? And then when he's done that, what's he ready for now? I mean, how does that translate into your life? Because I'm, as I'm hearing, I'm going like, 
man, I need to hear that, that I'm allowed to be at a different pace than other people. And you're allowed to be at a different pace. Like there's not this expectation of who we have to be based on what everyone else is. Yeah. The biggest thing was to realize I had to slow down in school. I'm such an achiever. Maybe that's a three thing. I'm telling you, sister, you just may be a three. (laughs) Um, Even in that season of the NICU, I was trying to fit myself into this box of nothing slows me down. I can keep up with the pace everybody else has in my life or in, in their lives in grad school. I can take as many classes. I can finish in five years. I can do this. I can do this. With your doctorate, right? That's right. Yeah. And I looked at Jack one day and I was like, I can't, I can't go any faster. I can't keep up with what anyone else is doing because my first job is to match my pace to your pace. And so I slowed down. I took fewer classes. I will probably take a little bit longer to actually write my dissertation, especially now that I have two kids. What? What? Right. <laughs> it's not just one. It's two yeah. very cute kids. I'm. Get, we're going to link to your Instagram if that's okay, just because okay. I want oh, everyone to see how adorable both those people are. <laughs> um, so I feel like it was freedom, honestly, realizing that if I wasn't going to hold my kid to a standard and say, okay, you got to conform to this. You've got to fit this mold. You have to meet these patterns of expectation. Then maybe Jesus also was suggesting that I didn't have to do that either. And that it would be okay to learn things at a different time or a different pace. It would be okay to finish school more slowly it wouldn't mean that I didn't finish at all, you know, but it would mean that I finished as me and not as me trying to fit into somebody I wasn't anymore. I mean, I think that, that because I would even say your husband Preston is doing that differently now than he was four years ago because he's not on the internet and he's not, I I mean, he's not writing books right now that we're reading. I mean, he's written books that I love, but he, he has taken, your whole family has modeled we are not in step with culture. We are in step with God and ourselves. Yeah. Not that you're out of step with culture. Does that? I don't want you to hear me saying that. Oh, no, 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 no. You just you're aren't so living right. to the pressures of Preston has two books out and had a big following and needs to keep going. You're going like, no, our family pace is set by us and God, and that's it. It's awesome. Is I it? Gotta be honest. It's, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think any of either of us, any of us, including Jack, feel the pressure, you know, it's like, we're just, what's the next obedient thing to do? God. Do you feel like he, that Jack helped usher you there? Totally. I think Jack's sort of been the leader of our family kind of since maybe even before he was born, but certainly since he was born and he's such an explorer. He has this Superman shirt that has one of the, it's so cute. It's got like a cape that you can Velcro to the shoulder pads and he's been, he wears it and, you know, runs around. He's got this like cape flying behind him. And I feel like that is the picture of how I think of him and our family is he's just fearlessly kind of leading the way. And we're like, okay, where are we going now? Yeah. What are we doing now? You tell us and we will do it. And you really, I mean, forgiving God, your book, it really is about that process, right? Of like letting Jack lead you towards God. Yes. 
hundred percent. Did your publisher push back on calling a book forgiving God? <laughs> no, not at all. Actually, really? when no, I saw that, I was like, "At a girl, Hillary, you fight for that book title, sister." <laughs> I don't know if it was because I never offered them an alternative. I was like, "But no, we only ever talked about subtitles, and we agreed on the one that we found, you know, a story of faith, pretty quickly." So, yeah, they were they were open, which was great. That is incredible. What has been your favorite part of people reading the book so far? I love people who resonate with my descriptions of the NICU. I love hearing from moms or parents or friends or, you know, people who've been adjacent to that experience saying like, hey, it helped put words to what I lived. It's good to know I'm not alone in that component of it. I've loved that. Um, And you know, the other thing I love, I love when people tell me, hey, I've been angry at God too. It's refreshing to have a book or, or hear your story about that and feel like I have permission maybe to tell God I'm angry or to start the conversation there rather than trying to manufacture a feeling of gratitude or understanding or praise or love or adoration or these things that feel more appropriate yeah. when it comes to talking about God or talking yeah. to God. That's been really special. Yeah, because I have never had a kid, but I resonate so much with how you processed your story. Mm. And so I don't think it's a book that only moms with children who are born differently than expected can read, you know? I hope so, yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. I just think it's such a good, sweet story. of, uh, And I use sweet in not like a simple way, but in like an actual like, like sweet to my soul kind of story of how you, Jack is leading me too, you know, (laughs) like Jack's teaching me too how to let God use all of me and drive all of my life, even when it doesn't go the way I thought it would. Mm -hmm. So I'm grateful that you wrote all that down. And I cannot believe you can write a book while you're getting your doctorate. Hillary, how are you this kind of woman? Well, (laughs) I don't know. I mostly wrote the book, honestly, in the middle of the night. Because for a little season, we didn't have night nursing, which is uh, when we have somebody, we have like a home nurse come while Jack is asleep just to make sure nothing happens while he's asleep. It's sort of protocol if you have a trach that you have somebody just to keep an eye on things in case something were to happen or it would fall out accidentally. Like you want to make sure somebody can put it back in. Um, But we, we had a period of time, I think six weeks or so after we brought Jack home where we didn't have a night nurse. And so Preston and I were doing these shifts where I would sleep from nine to three in the morning and then he would stay up till three and then he'd go to bed and I'd get up so that we could kind of keep an eye on Jack. And I wrote a lot of words at three in the morning because you can't do philosophy. I can't do philosophy at three in the morning, but I didn't want to forget some, it really honestly started out as like, I don't want to forget what I'm thinking and feeling right now. And I don't know if I knew it would be a book or if I just knew I had to write it down. Writing is the way I, I get back to myself. I get back to God. So this is my first step. And then I kept writing and then I had like 50,000 words and was like, Oh, well, look at that. (laughs) Look at that. At three o'clock in the morning, books can happen. Yep. 
Oh, that is amazing. Okay, so here's the other thing we've got to talk about. And I wish Preston, if he walks near you, make him come talk to me. (laughs) But here's the thing I miss the most about Preston being on the internet is I don't know what he's cooking for y'all. Tell me what he's cooking these days. Oh my gosh. He is such a chef. He is. Well, we became vegetarians. And <gasps> hey, me too, kind of. I'm doing like once a week with meat. Tell me everything. Whoa. Okay, so we love it. We love it. I do too. Oh my gosh, it's the best. So we became- it's the best. I'm so happy. So he's made so much good stuff. Our current favorite. I'm trying to think of what my current favorite is. The other night, well, y'all do a lot of Indian food, and that's not really my jam. Yeah. So he, we we've been. He's moved to um, Chinese food and Italian food. So he's made a lot of his own pasta. So that's a feature. He makes this like saffron pasta with this like, I don't know, lemony cream, you know, some sort of sauce thing that I'm like, I have no idea if 30 things are in here. And he's like, it's no big deal. I just whipped it up. I'm like, (laughs) he really taught me to appreciate saffron. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. So we have pasta. He's working on Chinese food. He just got to walk. So, he, oh my gosh, of course he did. And I bet it, I bet he researched it for forever. Um, I don't know how long he researched he it, but I think he, I think there was previous research that then meant when it was time to get the walk, he was like ready to go. <laughs> um, okay. Wait, well, back up and tell me what made y'all decide to go vegetarian. So both sort of a theological and an ethical thing. So we were, oh, okay. um, I've been doing a lot of animal ethics reading and we, why, what made you start that? Um, honestly, oh my gosh, I don't even remember what started me down that road. I, I think it was, I came across an article that was about animal cognition in philosophy. It was sort of thinking about like, how different are we from other animals? Are we in fact that different? No, maybe not. And sort of giving some reasons why, you know, all kinds of other animals do cognitive things the way that humans do or some humans do. So, you know, ravens can solve complex puzzles and remember people for like seven years. It's just crazy. They can remember people for ravens? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's raven. Maybe it's crows. One of the two. Yeah. Either way. It's that's really impressive. Yes. So if you are, if you appear threatening to them, up to seven years later, if they saw a picture of you, they would like go into attack mode. Oh my God. Right? Isn't that crazy? So they have that is crazy. crazy memories. Like I did not know that. Yeah. Whales have larger emotional centers of the brain than humans do. <gasps> so they feel more than we do? Oh, Hillary. Yeah. This is not good. I'm never going to eat meat again. <laughs> Keep going. Um, and so I was reading about that and thinking like, well... I just don't know how to feel about the consumption of meat. Um, We'd already sort of switched to just buying meat at our farmer's market, you know, from farmers that we knew ethically slaughtered their meat. So A, that meat is more expensive. So we'd been eating less of it anyway. So I think that probably also helped the becoming vegetarian transition because we were already not on a meat heavy diet. But then as Preston was thinking and reading about the provision of meat as food in the Old Testament, which happens in Noah, in sort of the Noah story. And then you look at Genesis and the fact that we were given seed-bearing 
plants for food. And that that's, that's pretty clear in Genesis that that's sort of what God lays out as like, this is what's available to you. Um, we felt like, okay, so there's provision in scripture for eating meat. It's not impermissible, right? It's not wrong, but it may not be the actual ideal. It may not be the thing that we ought to do or that we as, especially we felt like God is leading us towards a different vision of interacting with the kingdom and interacting with members of the kingdom of God, which include animals. And so at that point, when God sort of tells you that we were in HEB, we were in the grocery store, which can I just say, have you ever been to a Texas HEB, Annie? Uh, No, my friend Melanie Shankle talks about them all the time, but I have not been to one. Oh my gosh. Okay, I'll go. I'm speaking in Texas in a couple of weeks. I will go. I will make... Sp- Actually, th- when this podcast comes out, that very day, <laughs> I'm flying to Texas. <laughs> so I will be in an H-E-B on the internet this week. Oh my weekend. gosh, I'm so excited. Because H-E-B is like a magical place. The good okay. H-E-Bs. There's like right. bakery sections, got all kinds of stuff. It's just, I've never been in a grocery store like this before in my life. It's amazing. So we're walking okay. through this H-E-B and there was this wild caught so not not unethically caught octopus in the fish counter and i just looked at it and i looked at preston and i was like i can't eat that and we weren't going to buy it anyway but i was like i just can't do it and he was like it's time really just like that just like that we went home and we haven't eaten meat since and i do miss chick-fil-a yeah i feel like one thing that's been it's both helpful but it's also kind of challenging is that we don't do a lot of meat substitute. Yeah. So we eat a lot more vegetables and then we try to get our protein from like other sources. Like beans. Yes. Man, loving those chickpeas. Listen, I feel like you and I are keeping the chickpea business in business. Yes. We are. We eat them a lot. And you know, that's one of the things I've found too. And and when I, I've been allergic to dairy since 2013, I had an adult onset allergy. And one of the things I've found is that substituting is not the right way for me. Like not using fake versions of what I used to have does not work for me. I need to just not have cheese. Like there, there's sometimes that cheese, like a, like a goat cheese is fine, but like I just haven't, like, I don't want soy cheese. Yeah. So I'm with you. I, I'm not doing fake substitute versions of, of meat or cheese at this point. So I feel like what helps is that, you know, when we miss meat, like if I miss Chick-fil-A, which I loved, oh, it was good. I know. It was so good. Whatever they do, whatever they brine that stuff, it's just like. Right. I know. It's so good. I think it's pickle juice. Am I making that up? Yes. I don't know. I, I think, think you're right. They brine juice. it. Yeah. So when I miss it, like I just miss it. I'm not trying to recreate the experience somewhere else. I'm just like, that tasted really good. I don't eat that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that's so good. That's like such a good word about so many things in our lives <laughs> of going like, instead of medicating it with the next best thing, just feel the sadness that it's not there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. That's good. And so do you feel better? Like, does Preston feel better? Do the kids, are the kids fine? Is it all working? It all seems to be working great. I feel like we didn't experience huge changes digestively, although I feel I used to have sort of the like irritable bowel syndrome type symptoms. Uh And I haven't had those since we became vegetarian. So that's 
Yeah. I have no idea if it's like correlation, if it's a weird, you know, you, I feel like I'm never good at testing whether or not like that's the reason, you know? Yeah. But that has been a really nice outcome is like, I'm just, things are just healthier. I'm not uncomfortable after I eat or in pain or whatever. And okay, do y'all have cookbooks that you're like loving? Is there something I should be, because uh, I use Against All Grain, Danielle Walker's stuff. And so much of her stuff fits great with just leaving out meat or trading or uh, doing the vegetables. So I got Preston for Christmas, this book called Plenty, which is by a London restaurateur. So good. And then there's a follow-up book called Plenty More. And those are like vegetable-focused like dishes. So it's just, I think the subtitle is like Vibrant Vegetable Cooking from London's, and then I'm going to forget the restaurant name. But that is really good. He loves that. And then I got him this book that's just called like Vegetables. Okay. (laughs) And it's got, again, I don't feel like, how do I not know the author of this? But it's got this. No, you're fine. We'll tag it. We'll look it up and tag it. No big deal. It's got this really cool, like minimalist cover with like the outline of a carrot and a leaf and a beet or something like that. Yeah. Um, and he said that's not as helpful cooking wise in terms of meals because it's more about all the different ways you can use a vegetable. So it's I think it's more organized by like, here's a beet. Here's how right. a beet works. <laughs> here's a carrot. Here's how that works. <laughs> But look, full disclosure, have I opened these cookbooks? Have I tried to make a recipe? No. When Preston goes out of town, he leaves food and instructions for me for how to make it because I, (laughs) he asked me once when we were first married, like, so can you fry an egg? And there was a significant pause before I was like, (laughs) I think so. Yeah. You're like, I I think I know what you're asking. You know what? Maybe I don't. (laughs) Well, he's just so good at it. I know. It's one of my very favorite things that I miss so much. I mean, I need him just to come back to Instagram just so I can watch him cook again. He doesn't have to do any of the parts he doesn't want to do. Just cook for, cook in my face again. Well, maybe I should start taking pictures of all my dinners. And it'll, yes, say, it'll just do be it. hashtag Preston cooked this. Yes, that's it. Do it. <laughs> please do it. Um, and please tell him I how much I do miss him. I, I really will. do miss hearing his voice and his influence. And um, I'm glad. I feel like you've really upped your game, by the way, lately with your Insta-storying and your gramming. Girl, Insta-stories are a deep mystery to me. I like You're doing great. Thank, okay, thanks. Because I'm like, this is so awkward. I'm talking to my phone like I'm talking to other people. No, what no, no. Because you are. About? Because you're talking to me. I am on the other side. Okay. That makes me feel better. So yes, yes, yes. Um, You absolutely keep it up. Okay. So let me tell you the last question we always ask on the show. And there are like no rules here, but because the show is called That Sounds Fun, tell me what sounds fun to you. Like what's fun for Hillary? (sighs) I really want to learn to play the banjo. (gasps) Do you? So bad. Yeah. I told Preston the other day, I was like, well, when I'm done with this PhD, I really want to take a year off and obviously not off of my life because children, sure, sure, sure. but like a year off of school and I want to learn to play the banjo. I went to the Steve, do you know Steve Martin and like the steep Canyon Rangers? Steve Martin apparently can like really play the banjo. Yes. He's like a musician on the side. Yeah. Yeah. I know. So my mom is like big into that and she took all of us, AKA dragged us. Cause that was back when I was like, too cool for school, 20 year old. 
she like took us to this concert in Boston with Steve Martin and the Steve Canyon Rangers and was like, this is going to be great. And we were all like, sure it is. That was me and my two brothers. Um, right. <laughs> my sister got out of it because she's older and she was already married and lived somewhere else. And we went and I was like transfixed by the banjo. Really? Yeah. I'm like, this is the coolest. Like you're picking on it and you're doing things. Your hands move super fast and it makes this like, you just want to stomp your feet and kind of like move. I'm literally moving around right now as I'm talking. Yeah. <laughs> that is amazing. Okay. So fun for you would be learning the banjo. Yeah. So do you like who, what bands do you love to listen to that have banjos in them? Do you have any that stand out? Like, do you listen to Nickel Creek? Do you listen to Mumford and Sons? Like, I do listen to a lot of Mumford. Yeah. Yeah. I do listen oh, to a lot too. of Oh, me too. I've written entire books to Mumford and Sons. Oh, yes. I feel oh, like God. we owe them money. <laughs> I mean, I guess I bought their album, so they got they their got money. money. But they got money. Yeah. They're, they're, and I think they're doing fine. I don't think they're they're waiting to get more money from Annie F. Dow <laughs> or from Hillary Yancey. I think they're going to be just fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love them. I do listen to Nickel Creek. I'm trying to think what else. I've oh um do you know Bella Fleck and oh yes yeah so any of that type of like blue grassy it's integrating like those types of instruments yeah. in with other yeah. things yeah love that that's exactly right man that's amazing good answer great answer people give us the best answers I, real quick as well do you have a theology around fun do you have a thought about God and fun. I think God has a way better sense of humor than we do. Yeah. And so I think the thing about fun is it reminds me that like, I should not be so serious. <laughs> yeah, me too. I mean, I, I tend to have a good chunk of fun in my life, but the Lord also uses it all the time to help me go like, hey, look, what if you just had fun here? What if fun was attached? Yeah. I kind of feel like it's one of the reasons God put me on the planet was to help people find fun and fun in a way that brings glory to him and joy to their own life without having to medicate your pain. Mm-hmm. Amen. I'm trying, sister. All right. Well, Hillary, thank you for doing this today. I'm so, so glad to get to talk to you and hear your voice. This is awesome. Thank you so much. I loved it. Oh, friends, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Isn't Hillary just the sweetest? Her and her husband, Preston, are two people that I just adore and I think the world of. So, and really, really, I am sorry that you cannot watch him on Instagram because his cooking that he used to post was amazing. Make sure you grab a copy of Hillary's book, Forgiving God, A Story of Faith. It's on Amazon. It's in your local bookstore. Make sure you grab a copy of that. It is a really interesting read for any of us that are experiencing life differently than we thought we would, which I think is everybody. Also, her husband, Preston, has two books. One is called Tables in the Wilderness, a memoir of God lost, found, and found again, and another called Out of the House of Bread, Satisfying Your Hunger for God with the Spiritual Disciplines. And they are both really great reads as well. So grab all three of those. Have it like a family day where you read all the books from all the Yanceys. Hey, if you need me, I am embarrassingly easy to find. It's Annie F as in family, Annie F Downs across the internet, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, anywhere you would want to find me. And if you get a chance to rate and review the show, it means so much. It seriously matters. So we would just love it 
if you would take a second. And as my friend Cameron Strang says from the Relevant Podcast, if you want to give five stars, that would be great. If you don't want to give five stars, just keep it to yourself. That's <laughs> what Cameron always says. So I will uh, suggest that to you as well. But it would be great if you could leave a review of the show. I hope you have enjoyed the last few episodes. If you are new to the show, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Make sure you pop back and hear Alex Seeley from a couple of weeks ago. Last week was Candace Cameron Bure and Mo Isom. If you love female Christian authors, I would also suggest Allie Worthington's episode, Jamie Ivey's episode. Those have been great. And also uh, people have loved in the last couple of weeks hearing Dansby Swanson from the Atlanta Braves, Bob Goff, John Christ, Miles Adcox from Onsite. Just some really great shows have happened so far in 2018. So make sure you pop back and listen to those next week on the show. I'm so excited. If you follow me on Instagram, you know we've already recorded it, but I'm so excited to share my conversation with Christian Stanfield, Brett Yonker, and Melody Malone from Passion Music. You are absolutely going to love it. It is It's great. It's hilarious and fun and super uh, moving and beautiful. So I hope you will join us next week. You guys have a great day. Go out and do something that sounds fun to you. For me, I am going to go get my hair cut. It's, I mean, listen, it's way overdue. You haven't said it to me and I appreciate that, but you know it's true. So that sounds fun to me, getting my hair cut. So you guys have a great day. Do something that sounds fun to you and I will see you next week. 